Hey, Alex Williams of the New Stack. Welcome to the New Stack at Scale podcast, the show about developing and managing elastic and dynamic services and systems. I'm your host, Alex Williams, here with Frederick Paul, a longtime tech journalist and now editor-in-chief of New Relic. This month, we're talking about programming languages and the cloud-native ecosystem. And with us today, Fred, who do we have on your side? Hi, well, joining us today, we have Nia Dugall, who is our, well, why don't you explain what your role is here, Nia? Hi, everyone. I'm Neha Dugal, and I'm the product marketing manager for our star product, uh, New Relic APM, which is our application performance monitoring product. And we also have a colleague of, uh, of mine right here in Portland, Oregon. Adrian, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Adrian, for everyone who doesn't know the famous Adrian Hall. I'm, I'm Adrian. Uh, I do a lot of different types of work, often related to scalability and deployment of large scale systems. Lately, I've been helping out and working with Home Depot Quote Center here in the area, doing a lot of, I'll use the word DevOps, to help them on site reliability, continuous integration, continuous delivery, and things like that. Terrific. And don't forget, Adrian was also a, uh, has also been a blogger for New Relic back in the, uh, in the dawn of time, I don't know, two years ago. So today we have a, a different kind of a show. We uh, asked uh, Scott Fulton to prepare a segment about, the program, about programming languages in the cloud native ecosystem. But I thought it would make sense for us to take a listen to that, and then we can talk about it. So let's take a listen. Alex, when cloud native development first began, the idea was for you to run your software in the same place you built it. Ideally, you wouldn't have to separate clients from servers. But in today's stack, there are server-side languages and client-side languages. And the challenge for both classes has been for them to find their places in the cloud-native ecosystem while staying true to themselves. I think Go has kind of entered in and became very popular with a lot of Rubyists who had started in a dynamic language like that and who maybe we're starting to look for other options. Chris Hout is one of New Relic's lead software engineers. Chris told me he's a longtime Rubyist, dating back to when Ruby was the go-to dynamic language. But today, there's a wider variety of languages. So developers are more free to choose the best language tool for each particular job. And the Go language, a static language, can find its niche. Maybe they looked at Java or some of the JVM-based languages and found them a little bit daunting to get started and stumbled upon Go right at the right time where it's like, okay, this isn't really too hard to understand. And it solves a problem I have, which is being relatively easy to pick up and being much significantly more performant to solve some of my growing pains. There are two styles for language architectures. Both have made their way into the cloud native space. The so-called dynamically typed languages, like JavaScript, Clojure, and Python, are looser and a little more freewheeling. They let developers declare their variables more generally. They bind their dependencies at the last possible moment. And they rely on interpreters to make their programs work just in time. Go, or Golang, is in the other class, the statically typed languages like C, Java, and Scala. Go demands that its developers be very explicit which makes things easier for the Go compiler because it has all the instructions it needs 
and is never forced to hang on until the last microsecond. It can link all its dependencies and included libraries into a single binary package. Containers like Docker and AppC love single binary packages. The script for building a container image gets whittled down to almost nothing, but the tasks surrounding managing and monitoring that code change completely. Our challenges with building a Go agent um, were pretty unique to the language. Victor Suarez contributed to New Relic's new monitoring agent for Go. With our Java agents, our .NET agent, any other language that has a virtual machine that they're running in, we can sort of insinuate our agent in there and do a lot of uh, automagical instrumentation of the application on behalf of the developers. With Go, it, it's a language that uh, doesn't run in a VM like Java. It instead is compiled down into a single binary, right? Uh, that's then deployed uh, in whichever way uh, it needs to be. So instrumentation for Go needs to be performed manually. The developer, the Go developer, will actually go in there, use our Go agent APIs to instrument their code, to, to define transactions within their application and segments within those transactions that are interesting to them that will help them identify bottlenecks, whether they be in making calls to external systems or calls to uh, data store systems that they're using. GoLang was developed at Google for Google. Its own data center was one of the first to implement fully orchestrated containers. I spoke with Vincent Batts, a principal software engineer at Red Hat, about how Go's skill set translates to the needs of cloud-native developers outside of Google. When the Go programming language was spec'd out, you know, it had a, it had a couple of business use cases that it was attempting to solve. Google at the time, and you know, in some places still does, but at Google at the time is very heavily into C++ and Python. You know, C++ for performance and robustness and whatever else. Uh, and Python because it was easier to read and write and, a lot, and in a lot of ways manage. The challenges is kind of a funny one because um, it still solves the use case of what it was designed for originally by the folks at Google. But it's one of those use cases because it uh, does build in you know, the libraries and everything else that it needs and it's easy to build. It solves their use case, and their use case is unlike a lot of other uh, folks' use case or Linux distributions' use cases. Bats told me that from what he's gleaned from observing Google's projects, its developers maintain a common tree trunk, Bats term for it. This trunk gets rebuilt periodically, keeping all of its software up to date and theoretically more secure and more resilient. Go fits into Google's development methodology because it can rebuild the trunk in big sections. That works if you're Google, if you've designed your data center from the ground up to work this way. And here's the catch. The rest of the world, those enterprises that are relocating to the cloud in fits and starts, they're the ones that are investing in what they perceive as cloud-native technologies, integration tools, just-in-time interpreters, dynamic languages. I don't think Go has ever claimed to try and solve the problems that JavaScript tries to solve. And especially when you're even running a, a web server in Golang, it can serve up the JavaScript assets or even embed them directly to be served. Like you can compile in those things. 
uh, or serve them from a local file system. It's not trying to solve that kind of problem. Uh, in the web world or microservice world, it would much more be the back end to a JavaScript front end because the JavaScript is going to be running in browser or client side or whatever. But there are plenty of dynamic pieces of that interaction because then then the interaction between those two is going to be some kind of a you know presumably RESTful API or some otherwise, and then the the documents that are going to be passed back and forth. You know, there might be some kind of like highly efficiently packed message, but it more than likely is going to be something like JSON, a JSON document, which is a JavaScript originating document. But languages like Go have an incredibly performant encoding and decoding of JSON documents, and um, you know can 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 even receive one of these documents when it doesn't even know what fields to expect in that document, and it still can handle it. So Go resolves the needs of developers looking to integrate static server-side development with dynamic client-side development in a surprisingly dynamic, maybe uncharacteristic way. It figures out how the client-side apps, like JavaScript and Python, choose to communicate with it at the time they're communicating. This may be one key reason why Go is performing so well in a cloud-native space where Node.js is still making inroads. But as New Relic's Chris Haupt told me, Go may have a lot of evolution ahead of it, by virtue of the fact that the ecosystem at large isn't Google. It's extraordinarily common for applications of any size to uh, want to not reinvent the wheel and uh, take advantage of all the great work that's being done in particularly the open source world, but even within uh, you know, other companies such as our own, where one team builds a component and another team would like to share that component. But all these pieces of software, all these different libraries might be distributed in where they live. Uh, some might live on GitHub, some might live on Bitbucket, some might live on someone's personal computer. Go makes it pretty easy to use all these different pieces, which is awesome. It's easy to import different libraries. But the mechanism that's built into the language uh, doesn't really deal with, at least at the time that we're talking, with the fact that these different pieces of software may evolve separately. So they may have different versions that occur over time. So unless you're extraordinarily careful uh, and you're depending upon these external libraries, you pull down a, a version today and it's working great and you pull down the same uh, library tomorrow, it may have been patched or something may have changed and all of a sudden your code breaks because something changed. You were dependent upon version one and when version two came along, it kind of messed you up. So the, the notion of vendoring is um, kind of freezing your dependencies. So taking those things, grabbing a copy of them at the current version that works for you and setting them aside and only referring to those. Vendoring. Haupt and Suarez tell me, is the kind of coping mechanism to which today's Go developers must resort in order to make Google's language more compatible with the broader cloud-native ecosystem. They say it's not too hard to implement from a policy perspective, but it is a sign that even a tool explicitly designed for the cloud has to be open to adaptation to become truly cloud-native. For the new stack, I'm Scott Fulton. So I guess my question is, is Go uh, adapting? You know, Nia, I'm, I'm still trying to understand why you guys decided to use Go. What about its durability and its longevity? I guess when you make a decision like that, that what are the kind of the factors that you're, you're thinking about? 
So New Relic is using Go in multiple ways. So it's not only the Go agency launch, but within uh, New Relic too, we have a couple of products that we just actually launched a new product called New Relic Infrastructure that is built using Go. And the reason we chose Go for that was it, it had the right amount of tooling that was required to build an infrastructure product like that. Go is a language that is uh, perfectly capable or like fits into the microservices story uh, beautifully. So it's basically the kind of applications that are written in Go are single purpose applications. So when we were designing our infrastructure product, we wanted to adopt the whole microservices architecture and Go fit in perfectly uh, as a language of choice for building that product because yes, you could write really, really small single purpose applications in Go, which were really, really fast because they did not require a container to run in uh, something like Java. So it was fast, it was easy to scale, it was easy to deploy on container technology like Docker, and hence it was a choice for developing a product like infrastructure. On the other hand, we decided to support and come out with a Go agent because we had a lot of, we were seeing a lot of our customer base increasingly break away from their monolithic applications to develop microservices. And similar to our use case for New Relic infrastructure, we were seeing uh, our customers who were uh, moving to these microservices architecture willing to write really, really small applications that would be easy to maintain could come and go, you know, owing to the ephemeral nature of the Docker container. So they were looking for a technology that they could use to build these applications, if you will, and they chose Go as a choice. And as we saw our customer base, you know, adopt to more languages, Go just seemed to be a natural fit for us to support because we are increasingly seeing our customers move to a more polyglot environment. And at the end of the day, you want to see all of your application data in one place. So we decided to launch the Go agent. So now with the New Relic Go agent, you have a similar visibility into your applications. So no matter what your language of choice is. So even while our customers are uh, breaking, in the process of breaking away, let's say they're Java or Ruby monoliths and moving to a Go architecture or Go services architecture, they still have visibility into what's happening with the Ruby applications and can see similar performance metrics for a Go application. That's the reason we chose to support a Go agent. Adrian, you have experience in both programming languages, as I understand, right? In both Node.js and Go. What are, what are some of the experiences that you're finding, you know, w with Go and, and, and when you use Go and when you use, you know, Node.js, for example? Well, one of, one of the immediate reasons that I use Node is because everybody writes JavaScript now. It's just a thing, whether you love or hate JavaScript, it's everywhere so if I'm going to build a prototype or something like that, I very, very regularly go to Node and just build it in Node. Also, because the community is supportive, it's very easy to talk about whether I go to people that know the Java stack or the .NET stack or the Ruby stack. If I show them a Node app, they'll be able to figure it out because they know JavaScript. With Go, however, it, like if I'm going to write web services with it, I take a step back usually and say, all right, I'm going to need something that's going to be a solid little microservice that needs to be fast. Go is a perfect language for that because it compiles down to small binaries. It's easy to deploy. Um, whether I want to deploy it to Red Hat or Ubuntu or Windows, it, it doesn't matter. I can get a deployment binary out there in short order 
you, you might have to tweak it a little bit in the code or whatnot, you know, make sure you're parsing things right or whatever. One of the things that was mentioned just previous to the Go ecosystem and community has grown massively in the last couple of years too. So even in the context of like, let's say I sit down to build a little MVP for a web API, or let's say I build some infrastructure code. If I show people code in Go, it's still familiar enough that I won't lose them. Um, it's not something like, let's say I write some sample infrastructure code in Erlang. I show most people that and I'll have to spend as much time explaining what's going on in language because it just has a lot of different not regularly used uh, paradigms in the syntax. But Go has definitely grown to a degree where I can regularly use that and show samples in Go and nobody's confused about what I'm showing them. It's pretty straightforward. It's really, it's a pretty straightforward language in the first place. They, they've removed a lot of the like object-oriented paradigms that often add complexity to code and can make it confusing looking if you're not sure exactly what you're looking at. Go is just straightforward. You see a while loop, it's doing that loop. If you see a little function structure that's executing some stuff, that's what it's executing, that function. It's generally not, you know, inheriting other functionality from other classes or something like that. I was just saying that's a great point that Adrian brought up. Uh, it was a one that we were looking to because when we started building out our new Relic infrastructure product, all we had on board was Java engineers. And we were looking for a language that would be faster than Java because it, it was an infrastructure product. So uh, when we were considering uh, what language to pick, Go was picked because of its simplicity, just like how Adrian pointed out. It was very easy for people coming from different backgrounds, like Ruby and Java, to learn Go. I was talking to Chris, and in one of the conversations, he told me that it took only a month for someone who was a Ruby or a Java developer earlier to get on, you know, jump on the Go train and be productive within a month, which is really great and unheard of if you look at any other programming languages. I think we need to put this in perspective, though, for a second, Alex, in that certainly Go is growing, but we, uh, in August, uh, New Relic put out its, its third edition of uh, our sort of survey of the various rankings of the most popular programming languages, and Go doesn't really show up in the top 10 of any of them yet. The list remains dominated by Java and JavaScript, not surprisingly and other things that show up, you know, PHP and Python and, and the various flavors of C and Ruby. And Go shows up in the top five of things that people are interested in and that they like and that they want to use, but not in terms of what people are hiring, what people are actually using, what gets mentioned, what's in GitHub repositories. You know, so it, there's still a lot of ways to go, and, and it remains to be seen whether it will cement itself as one of the core languages. And that was sort of the question I wanted to ask our panel, for lack of a better word here, <laughs> is Go, you know, was, is Go just something that happened to be in the right place at the right time and was a, a good mix or a good amalgam of the kind of stuff we're looking at? Or is it something really special that's going to earn sort of a permanent place among the top languages that people use? I've got, I've got a few points to make on that. As far as not seeing, showing up in like the top 10 languages used, Basically, I look at it like this. There's certain languages I can talk about commonly if I'm in Seattle, Portland, or San Francisco. Um, once I leave that region of the US, uh, there's certain languages that are just, I don't expect anyone to really be using them for anything. 
And Go is one of those. And I think one of the reasons that it's exploded in popularity here in this area specifically is also because we have the cloud technology leaders in this area and Go is very, very focused as per the previous conversation that we just listened to, right. it was focused around Google's infrastructure and architecture. So, so as, goes, as goes cloud, so goes Go? Yeah, I do feel that that has a lot to do with it. As we build out immutable infrastructures and more scalable systems, Go is a, is a very, very good language for that. And you can, you can kind of see it, everything from like, you know, HashiCorp's products to Google stuff that they're doing to Cloud Foundry was, um, it was in Ruby and now it's in primarily Go and other things like that. But a lot of these, these big efforts and big products are focused around that cloud technology uh, emphasis. And even, even at AWS, I wouldn't even be surprised to see Go percolating around in there, even though it's not their specific language. Um, and I know it gets talked about at Microsoft too, even though they have tooling like F-sharp and stuff like that. It's, it's very, very focused around that infrastructure, and that's a big, big thing that we have out here on the West Coast. Uh, you want to you have anything to say about that, Nia? No, I agree with everything Adrian said that, yes, it's, it's perfect for the job that it does currently. And since we have more of the cloud leaders, the readiness to adopt, adopt cloud faster than the other regions, breaking away from the whole monolith microservices deployed on dockers and containers is adding to the growth of Go. And I think it's perfect for the job it does, as Adrian pointed out, as an infrastructure tooling language uh, the whole single purpose application uh, nature of it right. and you know being deployed on these small containers is kind of fueling the fire so if we assume that the cloud momentum is going to continue and i i think that's a pretty safe assumption in five years is is go going to be up there among the, the the leaders in the in these program languages or maybe five is the wrong time frame but you know what i'm asking I don't know, because one of the things that the cloud is very good at is consolidating the need for cloud development to be done, like at the infrastructure level. That's one of the things it does. We see a lot of Go out here on the West Coast. We don't see a lot of financial programming, though, not compared to, like, say, New York. You go to New York, you start seeing things like F-sharp and Scala and whatever else you would throw into a financial programming situation. So I think, and those show up high on our list of, of popular programs. Right. Yeah. So in, in a big way, I think like because we have kind of led the path with cloud technology, we're looking at that language. Whereas like you go to New York, you see those other languages and there's a whole lot of people doing financial software development and they're kind of looking to, you know, AWS, Azure, Google Cloud and stuff and saying, all right, make this stuff happen for us. This is what we need to do our financial software or whatever. So they're focused around languages that get that job done, whereas we're focused around languages that get this job done. Um, and I think if you, you shift around, you look at the primary industries that the, the software industry is serving in an area, you'll find that the languages do geographically follow around what the primary industry is. I've stumbled into some code every once in a while it still has COBOL and after I get over the initial shock I realized that it's because they wrote code to run some enterprise systems that still works but they need interfacing into that and in some situations 
uh, they just look at the cloud providers and say, we need things that work. And if anybody says go to them, they say, well, why do I want to do that? I have a COBOL stuff that works. I just want you to provide this extra ability or extra capability. That's one of the big things to look at in these languages is what's going on in the geographic area that causes them to be popular. The industry focus is a big indicator. So I have a question for you. We've been talking a little bit about how containers and cloud are a, a great environment for the rise of Go. Does Go help move that forward faster? Not that it wasn't going fast already, but... It definitely helps us from the infrastructure side. I've not been primarily focused on writing infrastructure code by any means. Um, and I kind of fell into Go just because of some of the reasons that I was previously stating, which is it's easier to code with it. And there's tons of examples, ecosystem and community out there that needed to solve infrastructure problems. When I step out of that just a little bit and I look specifically at applications though, I would say it's definitely helped me from the infrastructure side whenever I have to dig in deep and really get fingers into the cloud deployments that I'm doing. But at the same time, I also look at it that that's, that's kind of a pretty mature idea. Like somebody really knows what they want to deploy already, whereas oftentimes I don't even touch Go and I'll go build something in Node and then deploy it via like Elastic Beanstalk and AWS or something like that. Because I can set up a continuous integration and delivery to the cloud with a Node app in under 30 minutes and start building that application. And that's customer facing for the vast majority of projects because most projects need some type of user interface like a web page. So in those scenarios, I still use Node or something like that. And that specifically does push forward customer usage of the cloud. But I think where I have specific demands around cloud technology, I wouldn't be able to do as complex of implementations without Go. I'm curious about the direction for these programming languages, considering their development, you know, where they are in terms of their overall, you know, their overall age, I guess. I guess, Nia, what would be some of the things you would be looking for from the open source community to make Go, um, you know, better for your needs? Personally, I've not developed in Go, so, but I know that uh, as compared to other programming languages, the toolkit that is available for Go, it's not as developed as the other mature languages, let's say for Java, for example, okay. or even Node.js, for example. So the tooling that's available for Go as a language to develop in, the developers don't have that many tools to pick from. So they don't have an IDE or, I mean, there's no set to find of toolkits that's available to a Go developer. And then with the maturity of uh, the different languages, we've seen there are different frameworks that are built out for doing specific things. Like let's say in the Java world, there are the Tomcats, the Apaches, uh, the Apache Tomcats and stuff that's built exactly for doing XYZ for, for Go since it's, a relatively new language, all of those frameworks are not built out yet. So I think the two things that are the community contributions and like improving over the years for Go is definitely a toolkit that's, that makes developers' lives a little easier to develop. And then, you know, some certain set of set frameworks that people can leverage to do their whatever they want to do faster. Adrian, toolkits and frameworks. Uh... Would you cite those at the top of the list of things that Go is needing to develop better? Or are there other things too? 
I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan of redeveloping the wheel every time I get a chance to. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it, it gets rounder every time. Yeah. Um, so I would say that's, that's definitely one space where a lot of energy has already has been put in and continues to be put in within go. Uh, one of the things about like with the case of node, I just looked up real quick cause I was curious. I knew it was node and go are relatively new in tech years, but uh, I just looked it up. JavaScript is 21 years old. It first appeared on May 23rd of 95. Um, but node, which enabled that server side element of JavaScript has been out for seven years now. Yeah. And go has been six years. When you look at both of them too, node is very, uh, general purpose web development. It, it's attacking a larger spectrum of problems, which has a larger spectrum of developers. Go is, you know, as we were saying, it's very like West Coast, uh, very cloud oriented. So much smaller spectrum of developers have been working on the library and frameworks and stuff like that. So one of the reasons that they, they came out within a year of each other, but one has dramatically more libraries and such, but that's, just representative of the fact that, I mean, there's, there's probably a million people hacking at stuff in go in node all over the world at this point. Whereas go is primarily developers in this region focused on cloud computing and infrastructure things, frameworks and libraries and tooling will definitely continue to evolve for go, but I don't think it will ever be quite like JavaScript and, and node development. Just, just from the, the sheer numbers of developers, I think it will always be somewhat significantly different. Well, this has been a terrific conversation. I really appreciate your guys' insights. I think it was helpful to uh, hear, you know, the perspectives from some other, you know, people in, in the community and Scott's piece, but you guys really uh, brought forward a lot of topics that, you know, and perspectives that, that, I, that I found valuable. I really, so I really appreciate your time. Any other thoughts that you guys have before, before we close? Um, I just wanted to thank you, Alex, for the opportunity to sponsor the uh, Newstack at Scale podcast over the, the past uh, 12 months or so. It's been, it's been a real pleasure working with you. And for those who may not be familiar with New Relic, um, our APM product, Application Performance Monitoring, and the rest of our products are, are designed to help uh, customers consistently improve software every day, all day. And the place to find out more is newrelic.com great and adrian will uh our, our paths i'm sure will cross soon uh here in portland but fred uh thank you very much we we value working with uh new relic and we look forward to finding other ways we can collaborate on these kinds of projects thank you guys very much for participating and we look forward to talking with all of you again soon cool talk to you later alex good to talk thanks, to you alex. Cheers. thanks bye